On today's episode of Yours Mentally, we're going to be talking about dissociation. Now, I know a lot of us have heard about this term, but not a lot of us really know much about it in depth. I would recommend you listen to this episode at full length because there was a lot to learn and take back from it. And so many things that I'm pretty sure you must not have heard of that you will learn from this episode. This episode is in conversation with Jahan Ara, who is a counseling psychologist. So without further ado, let's get right into the episode. So on today's episode where we talk about dissociation and memory loss, Jahan, what is dissociation and is it a symptom of a disorder or a disorder in itself? Yeah, so dissociation is when we are disconnecting, right? And that disconnect looks very different for different people. For some people, it can be like a loss of memory. For other people, a connection with the body, a loss of feelings. You know, we're sitting somewhere, we're feeling very numb. And it's not always, I, I will say it's on a spectrum. So there's association very mildly. All of us, you know, feel it like, you know, when we're driving and, uh, you know, we kind of zone out for a bit and then we figure out we missed a U-turn that we had to take, right? So we're kind of disconnected. We're not present in the moment. Or, you know, we're, we're watching TV and then we suddenly notice that we're not actually watching the episode, we're thinking about something else. Smaller things like that, or all the way down to a spectrum where people have dissociative identity disorder. So, you know, dissociation are, dissociative disorders are a category of disorders, yes, but they can also be present with other disorders as well. You know, they are, if, if I look at it as a category, it's something that involves, there's a patient, a person, a client is having severe problems with memory, identity, emotion, perception, behavior, even a sense of self, right? And they kind of really disrupt your mental functioning. It's very hard to function if you're having time lapses and you're not sure where you're headed or, you know, things are feeling foggy. Generally, there are three types of dissociative disorders. We look at dissociative identity disorder, which also used to be called multiple personality disorder, but now they've kind of changed the term because of more research and more ideas that we have on how different personality parts dissociate. Then there's dissociative amnesia, all right, and I'll get into like what actually that is. And then there's depersonalization, derealization disorder. So really big words, but really the crux of it is that someone is disconnected from their current mm-hmm. state, disconnected from the environment. When it comes to dissociative identity disorder, mm-hmm. and like I said previously, it used to be called multiple personality disorder. There's different states that people have, right? So you can call them different. I think, I guess people call them alters, personalities, states, identities, states of consciousness, things like that. And there are totally different ones that people have, right? So it's two or more very distinct personalities. And, you know, those personalities have different kinds of behaviors. Those personalities have different kinds of memories. And one personality doesn't have access to the other personality's memories. So this is something that, you know, it's a very, it's a clinical concern. There's also with DID, there's gaps in memory. So if they're functioning from one altar, they're doing something. And the other, when they move on to the other altar, they totally forgot that they actually had breakfast. So for them, they haven't had breakfast. So mm-hmm. this is something that that really happens. But it's important to understand while I'm describing these things, and, you know, they can sound really scary and they can sound really dramatic, that it has a lot to do with, just disconnection and trauma which i know we'll get into in a bit Uh, but yeah it can be very very disruptive and uh, i also want to make a side note that you know a lot of mental health disorders and diagnoses we make them out to be so scary especially in the media Mm -hmm. they portray it as someone who's really supposed to be uh, i don't know a murderer if someone has bipolar disorder or if someone is borderline then they're an abuser 
or if someone, um, I guess, has anger management issues, they have to be a perpetrator or a rapist. I mean, it really doesn't work that way. So I know that when I'm t- speaking of dissociative identity disorders, a lot of people who have certain stereotypes associated with it. So just putting it out there that, you know, people with mental health disorders are not scary or bad. It actually has to do with a large trauma history where these symptoms start showing up. Then we have dissociative amnesia. Now, if you talk to survivors of any kind of, whether that's accident or abuse, they will not remember everything, right? And that's a very common sort of aftermath of trauma. Dissociative amnesia is, you know, I cannot recall information about myself. And this is not normal forgetting. So this is not, oh, I forgot where I put the car keys. That's not dissociative amnesia. Dissociative amnesia is I really can't remember a certain part of my life or a certain part of my a period of my life or a certain event. And it usually shows up in three ways. So it's very localized. So there's one event. Localized means one event. For example, if that's an abuse incident, an accident, a certain incident, right? So that's localized. Then there's also selective. So a specific aspect of your life you cannot remember. Then there's generalized, which is like, I really feel like there's a loss of identity that I have and a loss of life history that I have. I can't recall certain things. I don't know. Very commonly, since I work with a lot of complex PTSD, people mm. will look back at their childhoods and they will say, I don't know. I don't remember what most of what my childhood was like. And oftentimes, not always, I don't want people to listen to this and generalize. Oftentimes, it's a sign of a child being so stressed and a child being under so much stress that they literally block out their brain says, block this out. You know, this is not what we need. They block out memories. They live in very dissociative states. You know, with my training and all, we we would all we were always taught that dissociation is the mechanism of the child. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. That means it's something you do when there's nothing else to do. Mm-hmm. So you can't escape a domestic violence household. I have to, I'm the child of this household. I have to stay here. I have to live here. These are my parents. I cannot leave them, right? And I'm small. I can't leave the house. So then what happens? My mind says, Chalo, we'll, we'll mentally dissociate. We'll go away, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a way your mind really just takes you away from, uh, from these situations. It happens during abuse. So if someone's getting abused, they will feel like they're watching their body or they're watching something happen to them from a distance. Or they will feel like, oh, the, this incident happened to you know, whoever, Anne, Mary, whoever, they'll, they'll, they'll have a name, but they feel like I don't, I can't connect with if that happened to me. And then lapses in memory. So amnesia is very, it's very common. A lot of the times in childhood sexual abuse, it's very common. I work with lots of survivors where the memory, it actually gets repressed of childhood sexual abuse or childhood beatings, whether that's physical, sexual in nature. And later on in adulthood years, these repressed memories, they sort of come out because they get triggered by something. Oh my God, I saw someone whose face looks like my abuser's face. Or I finally remembered that my teacher in school did this, you know, so it kind of, it's a very scary and a very complex process, but the child's brain does do that. That is dissociative amnesia. Now, so lots of loads of information yeah. <laughs> for whoever's <laughs> listening. <laughs> yeah, so I understand that. Is there anything I can kind of clarify here, Aman, before I kind of move forward to another type of dissociative disorder? No, nothing. You explained it really well, actually. Okay, uh, so it's sitting it well? Yeah. Yeah, 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 it is. Okay. Well, yeah. another kind of disorder is depersonalization and derealization. Big, big words, but I'll mm-hmm. I'll make it simple so we can understand it very simply here. Mm-hmm. Depersonalized is, you know, I feel like there's an detachment from my mind, myself, or body. So my I'm I'm depersonalized, so I'm away from my own person. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I feel like 
I just feel so detached. Like I'm sitting in my living room, but I feel like I'm not here or I feel like I'm not actually driving or I feel like I'm not actually eating. Like I'm literally tasting the food, but I feel like I'm not actually eating it. Right. So very depersonalized. Mm-hmm. or you're watching your body like i feel like i'm watching myself driving or i feel like i'm watching myself watch the tv i don't feel like i'm actually watching it right mm-hmm. that's depersonalization very similar to it's like a twin of depersonalization is derealization that means reality feels weird i feel like i'm in my body derealization everything feels like so cloudy yeah i'm eating food but like the food is feeling a little everything's kind of blurry and cloudy and hazy and it feels like you're uh, like navigating a dream you know like our dream state like we're just moving around and these can be very scary very you know disruptive for a lot of people these symptoms they they very much begin in early childhood i think the average age a person would experience these is like in their teens so 16 or so so yeah the, these are some of the i guess the introduced association to people you can also look up dissociative disorders in the dsm they're all there these are some ways that i think they present but that doesn't mean dissociation is a disorder in itself only so you can have depression and you can have some dissociative features or you could have ptsd and you can have some dissociative features right or you could have anxiety disorder but sometimes yes you dissociate or dissociation also looks very different in different disorders like in anxiety it will look like you know my mind goes numb or i go blank or in ptsd it could look like you know i'm watching myself do something so um yeah it could be definitely part borderline borderline personality disorder borderline personality disorder has to do part of childhood trauma so yeah. whenever this childhood trauma dissociation will be there so then that you can see dissociative symptoms there as well so jahan can you talk about the causes of dissociation yeah sure you know we're talking about this really big scary phenomena it has to do with very deep trauma histories you know especially people who have experienced physical and sexual abuse in childhood they are at an increased risk for both you know dissociative identity disorder previously called multiple personality disorder other kinds of dissociative amnesia like i said children will you know repress certain memories of abuse they will repress certain periods of abuse like if they were living in a certain house in a certain city at one point of their life and they were getting abused by a certain household then they will completely their mind will completely forget that period right so it has to mm-hmm. do a lot with trauma and i think there's statistics not in our south asian countries but like more in in the us canada europe that about 90% of people who are struggling with dissociative disorders they have a history of childhood abuse and neglect mm-hmm. right so we're really looking at there's this big big common factor that kind of keeps showing up again and again and again you know what is it that these people have experienced in their childhood that this is a mechanism where their body kind of falls into like oh chap and anything that's stressful let's dissociate this person because when people are adults they're not having it because they are getting abused they're having it because their system knows that's how you protect so we dissociate mm-hmm. because people will have different you know when i'm working with people we try to keep a track of stress levels okay so exam season is coming up okay is that going to be stressful all right yes it's going to be stressful does that mean that we could be at a higher risk for dissociating or numbing out more or blanking more so then we kind of make a plan around that but yeah it has to do with with experiences of childhood trauma particularly emotional abuse and emotional neglect as well i want to really clarify this because i think a lot of the times when we talk about emotional neglect <laughs> and emotional abuse people think it's not that important or not a very i think a very big form of trauma and it is it's a huge form you know look at the amount of disruption it causes just not 
having a parent who can regulate with you, not having a parent who can understand your state without wanting to change it all the time, you know. So just deep, deep impacts there. I mean, we look at borderline personality disorder and we look at substance use and we look at dissociative identity disorder. And I mean, a lot of these things are constantly going back to parents who are not emotionally available. So very, very important factors there. But yeah, yes, trauma, emotional neglect, abuse, and uh, history of physical and sexual violence or being uh, constantly exposed to it as well. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a one-off incident. Maybe you're living in a house where parents are constantly fighting and there's a child who's three to four years old who doesn't understand really what's going on. So kind of like those early signs of dissociation children will disconnect okay so what exactly does one feel when they dissociate so there's a whole range of symptoms you know from them being very mild like you're cooking something and you burnt your hand and you realize it a bit later you know your hand is burnt it doesn't really you can see that it's burned you can you can see maybe you're bleeding but you're not really feeling much it's like oh i'm dissociated with my body from my body you're driving you reach somewhere and you say oh my god i I missed a turn i was supposed to go the other direction because you're not you're not really in the moment right you're dissociated Mm -hmm. so these are these are from the mild spectrum there's also a test that's available online i feel like people can google it as well it's the des so Mm -hmm. i think it's the dissociative experiences scale it's a self-reporting scale you can google it The idea with it is that there's lots of questions there that you can answer for yourself to see at what level you have uh, dissociative tendencies. But it's it's almost as if, you know, like I mentioned, it's like everything is certainly foggy. I'm going back in my head. Noises are getting a little less noisy around me. I feel more disconnected with the people. So it's like I'm something like a cloud is sucking me in. There's a loss of memory. You know, I feel like I'm outside my body. It's just a, it's a disconnection that I'm having. Sometimes people also daydream, excessive daydreaming. So maladaptive daydreaming is not technically a disorder in the DSM, but definitely it's a disruptive issue. And I work with it as well. Uh, daydreaming is a way to ignore your current state. It's a way to say, let me get find validation in spaces where my environment doesn't have validation. So I'm going to daydream. So yeah, getting lost in a book or movie, you know, losing touch with your awareness, immediate surroundings. So that's that's kind of like how you feel when you're dissociating. You know, either you feel the environment is foggy or you feel disconnected with your body or you feel disconnected. Like I feel like I'm in a dream or I feel like I'm not even here. I think I recently read this post that you only made on brain fogging. I mean, it may not be recent. It could be a few months ago as well. But can you sort of differentiate between brain fogging and dissociation? They're both very similar. I would say brain fogging is like on a spectrum of this, the this, of dissociation. Brain fogging generally, and I think with, with that post as well, is a result of someone who's living in an abusive environment and is the direct or indirect victim survivor of that abuse. So our brains fog. I mean, I think it's very common with narcissistic abuse. And a foggy brain means just like a disconnect with reality, feeling like you're on edge all the time, or you're really like, I'll get clients who are brain fogged and who are in very um, abusive marriages. And they'll have like the widest pupils I have ever seen in a caseload. They'll be sitting really high alert. They'll be looking a little frazzled. 
and uh, brain fog is just like i'm losing my memory i forgot where if i changed my kid's diaper you know i'm forgetting things so because the brain is getting so overly loaded with mm-hmm. information on how to survive that certain basic life skills start suffering so is one aware of the fact that they have dissociated or is there like a gap in their memory it depends on the disorder so with dissociative amnesia yeah people may not know that oh i'm actively doing this or i actively forgot a childhood memory that's something that's very kind of automatic that happens almost mm-hmm. like a reflex and there's a lot of shame and judgment about forgetting things as well like how could i forget this was such a big abusive incident in my life and i totally forgot it i'm not understanding how that works but it's almost like a reflex like if you i don't know like your foot will reflex if you're going to tap it or some just like a reflex muscle it's your trauma muscle it's your vagus nerve it kind of comes out and it says i'm going to take you away from this so you may not be aware when it's happening yes mm-hmm. but some people are so when my clients are describing to me that i was watching myself be abused they are aware of it my clients are definitely aware of their dissociative episodes a lot of the part the treatment for dissociation is let's get aware of the triggers and when it happens so getting more aware of the body and my clients will dissociate in my office all the time and you know we then we'll take a moment and we'll come back so yes they do know when they're going into that if you can call it a trance like sort of state and some people do know some people find it harder to know but that's you know when you go to therapy you become more aware of i'm trying to figure out where i'm dissociating and when i'm dissociating so that gets better yeah sometimes it can last for a very short period of time like an hour 30 minutes sometimes people are really in it and they're finding it hard to come out sometimes it lasts for days i have people who say they are dissociated all the time uh, mm-hmm. they struggle with dpdr which is depersonalization derealization disorder so yeah do you think this like in the beginning you mentioned something about dissociating while driving a car and all of that to what extent do you think that it's okay for it to happen because like i mean dissociating while driving car can be unsafe you know and that's mm-hmm. just one example you can dissociate it like at various different instances and events right so how safe do you think that is and how is it possible for people to kind of realize that oh, i need to get out of this so any behavior that you need to see in terms of a disorder lens you first want to see how problematic it is for you so we want to see okay how often does this person dissociate during driving does it happen quite often okay so if it happens quite often then what are some triggers that may be happening you know what's we talk about stress management road rage all of that you know how long ago did they learn how to drive you know are there certain aspects that are being represented while they're driving at what point is it becoming disruptive you want to look at the frequency and you want to look at how bad it's affecting you very normally i will say everyone dissociates when they drive to some extent because our brain kind of goes on autopilot i also want to say that dissociation doesn't fully mean someone's not functioning well people are just going on autopilot you know like you're cooking but you're very dissociated while you're doing that you made a whole meal but you really don't remember doing going through the process you were like very disconnected dissociation puts in you know it it kind of activates the part of you that is on autopilot that knows the skills but you're just disconnected from when you're doing it so it doesn't mean that they'd be driving wrong or wouldn't like would forget how to drive it's more so that they'd be driving but there's not an awareness of where you had to turn or what you had to do or where you had to go so you may forget things so it's a memory memory gap aa jata hai but yeah i mean they can get an assessment they can do the des2 scale like i mentioned and try to see how severe something really is right okay so jahan are there any gender differences that are seen in dissociation so there's a lot of mixed data there's older data that says that there aren't many 
uh, gender differences. And I was looking at a research from just this year, 2022, that said that, yes, women do have higher scores than men. And the reason for that is that a lot of women are more subjected to abuse, you know, uh, living in a, in a patriarchal country, society, world. So there are there are rates of, uh, you know, I think the fe- it was something like the female to male ratio is nine is to one. So for nine women having a dissociation to one man having the dissociative episode. But yeah, the, and this is something that's very common in sexual abuse as well, right? And you have to see that with women, sexual abuse rates are definitely higher and prevalent and chronic. So we, we do see it in women more, yeah. Right. So lastly, Jahan, how can one help someone who is dissociating? And can you also talk about what treatments are available for dissociation? Therapy is very intense if you have a dissociative disorder or if you have dissociative symptoms because essentially you know we're going to be revisiting a lot of traumatic material of course at the client's base and you know with giving them enough resources but dissociation therapy is a very painful form of therapy because imagine I took all my bad feelings and I put them in a box and that's what my body does it dissociates with them daily as well it minimizes them it intellectualizes my feelings now when I'm really getting to, oh my God, that was my experience, it's going to be very painful. Of course, with the help of a trauma-informed practitioner and, you know, pacing and all of that. But um, it, it's a difficult treatment. So just kind of to start with that. There are different forms of help. So, you know, there are practitioners who would target association with CBD and mindfulness. Any kind of treatment that you're opting for needs to be more mindfulness-based because you want to integrate the body, you want to integrate breathing, you want to integrate uh, grounding exercises, things like that. I work in an emotion-focused practice, so I am all about, you know, figuring out different dissociated feelings in the body. So a lot of the times, the survivors that I'm working with, they have dissociated rage. So the rage and the anger that should be directed towards perhaps, let's say, an user gets directed towards them so then they feel disgust with themselves so we work on this kind of dissociated feeling of anger there's other there's so many different kinds of therapies that can help but yeah we need to make a plan on first figuring out you know how dangerous or how much is this affecting the client's life and what functioning is impaired making a list of triggers figuring out uh, what history the client has you know what kind of history are people coming in with is it a multiple trauma history and also i would say many times when you're too early when someone is too early in treatment or it's people's first time in therapy they will incorrectly answer questions so a lot of people say no nothing this was nothing everything was fine no that's actually not a big deal it's only i really think after working for a few months with people and really getting into it that people start recognizing oh my god yeah i had very absent parents and i had no idea that um, that was affecting me or because I, I get people all the time who are dissociating but then when i ask them different questions it's all like no 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 so yeah sometimes it's denial sometimes it's lack of awareness but figuring out triggers figuring out your history you know what kind of history you're coming in with childhood history teenage history adult history are there any miscarriages are there any histories of other kinds of physical assaults i'm just throwing a bunch of ideas out there but yeah then treatment has to do with triggers body breathing grounding and then slow Slowly, slowly building a relationship again with the feelings that may have been dissociated. How can you help someone who's dissociating? So like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, it can be something that lasts for 30 minutes or it can be something that is present with the client all the time. So they're always dissociated. It's just that the level of dissociation is less or more, right? So you can help them by helping them ground. So people dissociate in my office and I will give them a cushion to hold, touch something, hold something. 
Mm-hmm. Try to do some deeper breaths. I will also say if you do deeper breaths, sometimes that's not that good for people because they will feel like they're going more into a trance-like state. Mm-hmm. So there's also like kind of smaller breaths help as well. Slow but smaller breaths. Like you breathe in, but then just like just suddenly you breathe out. Because mm-hmm. what we're trying to do is we're really trying to wake the system up. We're going to say, come back, come back, come back, waking the system up. Touching things around you, you know, if you're driving and you're feeling a little associated or you're giving an exam and you're feeling associated, try to touch the desk, try to touch the pen, try to touch something around you. Notice the temperature of things, you know, the colors of things around you. Try to count them. Something that I do with my clients often is I'll say, you know, look at an object and if I was blind, how would you describe this object mm-hmm. to me? They start describing it. So we do this activity of describe an object to a blind person. So they'll say, okay, this has feathers. This is white. And the process, and you know, while they're doing that, they're activating their active brain, their prefrontal cortex. So they'll slowly start to also come out. But it does take sustained effort. And if you struggle with association, you have to see what works for you. Because for some people, describing an object to a blind person really works. For other people, it won't. For other people, breathing slowly makes them more associated. For some people, breathing slowly makes them less associated. There's mental activities you could do. You know, just try to like start counting or reading something, touching, holding. Temperature changes are great. Touch your feet to something that's really cold or really warm. You know, try to change your body temperature. Sometimes when I'm doing EMDR processing sessions, I'll have like candies or like a mint or something in office with me. So if a client is, you know, really, I feel like they're moving away from the room. I will say, you know, why don't you like have a, a little candy? You're like, let's let's have a, a mint or so or, or just something. Uh, flavor, flavor is very important. Mint especially. It really wakes people up. You know, when they taste something, uh, the mm-hmm. flavor of the tongue kind of helps us immediately kind of come back. So flavor, I feel, feel um, has worked a lot with clients. But there's different things and you can do all of these to help your friend. Most importantly, if someone's associating, just give them time and space, be there, keep talking to them. Sometimes when my clients are dissociating and I'm talking to them, they say, oh, what was helpful for me was like, you know, you kept talking so I could constantly hear your voice. And I was like, yeah, okay. So keep talking to them, be there for them. And you have to kind of figure out, you know, it's very customized what your dissociation episode looks like and, you know, what will help your friend. Right. Oh, there was so much to take in. Um, self-processing <laughs> the entire <Yeah>. episode. <laughs> that was honestly a great learning. I think a lot of, personally for me, because I come from Gen Z, you know, I see a lot of people uh, just casually being like, oh, I dissociated, you know, when this certain thing happened or oh, I wasn't paying attention in class because I was dissociating. So I think it's very important for people to be educated about what dissociation really is. And not just throwing the term around. I mean, I think there's a big difference between daydreaming, between zoning out and dissociation. And for some reason, I think, you know, people mix the three. So uh, that, I think, yeah, in that, in those regards, a very good learning for myself. And also, I'm pretty sure for everyone listening. So thank you, John, for being with us. Of course, you're most welcome. I think there's a lot of uh, mental health terms that are like floating about. So a lot of people become narcissists and a lot of conversations become gaslighting and a lot of people become bipolar. (laughs) So I think it's a consequence of there being more awareness. So it's like both a good and bad thing. But uh, I'm glad. I'm glad people can learn more about what it actually is. Yeah, yeah, me too. And to everyone who's listening to you, thank you for listening. And I'll see you in the next episode.